Elder Roy. That was very nice of you. And, um, oh, it's just really great to be here with you all, PT family. I'm so excited to see you. Um, and I'm just excited to bring the word today. And I want to extend thanks to our church and to Bishop Brian and Elder Lady Carmen, who aren't here today, but um, who have invited me to, to share what um, God has downloaded to me. I'm really excited to share this word with you. And I just give him all the credit, all the glory, because I sat down at my computer to type this um, sermon and the words just flowed and I had to keep going back and I was doing so much research that I was really geeking out in the word. It was awesome. <laughs> so um, thank you all again. Um, and so as I begin, I'm just going to take us back in time a little bit, but I'm not going to keep us there. I'm going to keep us moving in different um, times throughout history. So as you might recall, Three years ago at this time, we were just a few months into the pandemic. And during that time, I found a lot of meaning in taking care of my family and trying to make sure that we were all okay. Um, I'm a, a mother of two who are sitting right in the front pew over here. Um, during that time, they were in ninth and sixth grade and um, they were doing everything online, as I'm sure all the students in the room know about. Um, day by day, we kept our routines and tried to maintain sanity, even though it was insanity at that time. Um, and it, I felt purposeful, you know? Um, I, maybe even a little bit hopped up on adrenaline. Um, maybe that was you too, but just kind of in that crisis mode for several months. And as you recall too, it was, month after month. Um, we didn't know when the end was going to be in sight. Um, but I just kind of was in that mode of adrenaline and, and maybe cortisol too, which is not so helpful long term. But um, So I helped with like an, an emergency fundraiser for the arts group that I work with. And I stayed on top of small groups ministry and got up early for morning prayer and just, you know, kind of managed to stay upbeat most of the time. But after about six months of being in that crisis mode, the adrenaline started wearing off. And I heard an mm-hmm, because I know that all of us are kind of, <laughs> um, just doing everything on Zoom for so long was getting old for all of us. Um, there was still no vaccine in sight. And I was still standing outside every week um, to get groceries at Market Basket, standing in a line six feet apart in the cold and everything. So I was just finding myself waking up getting really um, drained, you know, waking up feeling sad, and that's not a good place to be. I, I knew I had an important role at home, and that was, um, you know, I took that very seriously, and, and that definitely helped keep me going. Um, but unfortunately, my work life had really dried up. Uh, it should have been my busy season at work, but it was just crickets. Uh, my vocation and calling no longer seemed to matter. Like many other small businesses, I worried about losing all that I'd worked for to build my dream. And I could not yet see how things were going to get better. You see, I'm a studio artist, which is a very narrow um, niche career. Uh, I run my own small business out of my studio, and so I create commission paintings for clients, and I paint original art that's sold in galleries. 
I have a bachelor's degree in fine arts, and I've followed the path of the arts field my whole life. And everything had been going great. But the pandemic turned my business sideways, like it did for so many other small businesses of all kinds. Almost every art sales event on my schedule got canceled in 2020. I was super grateful for the work and the sales that I did get, uh, but they were a lot fewer and further between than was normal. And so it was a scary and stressful time. And I was starting to question if I should even be making art at all. I was asking God if I should pivot and do something else entirely. Most people were buying toilet paper, <laughs> not paintings. <laughs> so, you know, that makes sense, right? Who can blame anybody? That's ever, we were all in crisis mode. Um, and I wasn't alone. Uh, leaders in the arts and culture industry predicted catastrophic losses for museums, theaters, music venues, you name it. Um, they could not see the light at the end of the tunnel, so I felt like I couldn't either. I was starting to get tunnel vision and go into a dark place, and I needed a way out. So um, if we could look at the first slide. Um, here's a place where I find solace, Genesis. And I, just as I see the slide, I want to give a shout out to Sister Sonaya Charles, who made these beautiful slides. <laughs> I mean, they're really, yes, they're so pretty, and I just really appreciate them, and I appreciate her creativity, so thank you. Um, in Genesis, you go back to basics. You know, when you go back to basics, you can get grounded, okay? So let's go further back in time to the very beginning of our very world that we're standing on right now. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. So if you notice, the first five words in the Bible, not just this book, but in the Bible, say, in the beginning, God created. The first action God took is to create. He saw chaos and darkness, and he just called it to order with his creative authority. It says the earth was formless, dark and empty, but God brought form out of formlessness. God brought light to darkness. God brought fullness into emptiness. Panning out to the big picture gets me out of that narrow tunnel vision, so this is really helpful, right? God is in control because he is a creator king, a king with authority to make things right and beautiful. The act of creation is set up as a way to solve a series of problems, and that's what we do as creative people. We solve problems. God gives us that gift to us as his image bearers. We humans are creative by nature, too, because he is. We know that, goes, that God goes on to create nature um, and a man and a woman. Everything is paradise in balance and in tune with him for a short time. But we know what happens. Um, spoiler alert, um, when, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, right, this way, and with each other this way, um, they brought about divisions between themselves and God and between men and women that continue to last to this very day. But God knew that with free will, 
this would happen. He wanted to provide creative ways to build bridges and solve problems to get back to closeness. When you look at scripture from the standpoint of a creator king, I've been amazed to see and learn that he did this through a series of works made through the gifts of creativity. So first, uh, God made something with his own two hands to solve this problem in the garden. It says he himself fashioned clothing for Adam and Eve from animal skin. You see, Adam and Eve had tried to cover their shame and their nakedness by sewing some fig leaves together, but that really wasn't God's best. God sacrificed an animal and used its skin in order to cover them properly. This would not only cover their shame from sin and act as a form of forgiveness and covering, but this would also protect them from the elements of weather because they were about to be banished from the paradise of Eden, right? So um, I'd like to think that God um, made them tailored outfits and good leather shoes um, because I think a loving designer father would do that. And yes, God is a designer. So um, our next slide, please. Um, clothing for two was God's first creative workmanship with a couple. And so you'll see that up on the, the screen. Um, next came, we'll just fast forward a little bit. Next came Noah's Ark. Noah um, was commissioned by God, uh, Noah and his family to, of eight people, to build and board the ark with animals. This, too, was a means of protection from the flood that God sent to wipe out sin. So a boat, and that's the next one, was God's next creative workmanship. This time was with a family. So let's now fast forward to the book of Exodus, around 1450 BC, when God's people were in the desert, they fled captivity from Egypt, okay? God commissioned the tabernacle, the Pentecostal tabernacle is named for that tabernacle, and the Ark of the Covenant through the artisan and craftsman named Bezalel, who had many helpers. So this project was God's next creative workmanship with an entire community. And finally, let's skip ahead to 2 Chronicles in 966 BC. Through King Solomon, with many builders, many artists and craftsmen, God commissioned the temple to be built. This was gonna be the permanent structure in Jerusalem. This architectural workmanship was with a nation. So we see God, if you look at your slide there, we see God giving workmanship to a couple, then a family, then a community, and then a nation. So you can see that God's building here. Here are some similarities I noticed when I looked at all these models of creative workmanship together as a group. So they all required blood sacrifice. I think this is the next slide. Um, all were handmade material goods and projects. All had God's ideas, or in the, in the arts and design industry, we call it specs. It means specifications, but we just call them specs. All had God-appointed leaders, and all of them are gone now. The last one was particularly striking to me. As an artist, I'm used to seeing works in museums um, that are thousands of years old, uh, hundreds of years old. Um, and sadly, all that's left of the temple in Israel that was meant to be permanent um, is called the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, and that is a very sacred site. Some of you may have 
even visited there. <clears throat> but the temple was destroyed twice, and plans to build it a third time have um, never come to fruition, unfortunately. But I think it's tempting to ask, why would God commission artistic projects fully knowing that they weren't last? Were these art objects and projects just like frivolous and extra? Um, God keeps upping the ante from a couple with a pair of outfits to a nation with a temple. Like, does making beautiful stuff actually matter when there are seemingly more, much more important things to be doing? Well, I think based on what we see here, making beautiful stuff really does matter to God. I mean, he did it in Genesis. That was the first thing he did, right? So I wonder if we can be okay with the mystery that somehow in God's wisdom, he knew that by giving his children new works to make, they would be drawing closer to him as they spent time creating, meditating on his goodness, coming together as a community to co-labor, to make something beautiful unto the Lord simply because he told them to and to rise to a creative challenge. What if it wasn't just about the end result, but also about the healing process of creating? So we have some different examples of workmanship here um, that we went over. I'd like to just for a little bit isolate the, um, the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant project and do a deep dive on that one for just a bit. Okay, so everyone knows what the Ark of the Covenant looks like because you probably saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? So, <laughs> um, but the tabernacle, I don't know if you know what it looks like. We have a slide coming up at the end, but it's basically a structure that they made so that they could take um, their temple with them wherever they went while they were encamped during their 40 years in the desert. Let's look at Exodus 31, 1 through 5. The Lord said to Moses, look, I've specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, an expert in working with gold and silver and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. That's what God said to Moses. According to Bible scholars, Bezalel is the first person in the Old Testament documented as being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think he would really need that for this assignment because they had just escaped Egypt and were living in the desert by themselves a few months in after this point. So, okay, no art supply stores, <laughs> no lumber yards, no textile markets. They had to make everything for this commission totally from scratch in the wilderness. I don't know if you understand. <laughs> That's it's gonna be really a huge undertaking, right? God needed them to focus. At the very same, this is so cool, uh, at the very same time that God was commissioning this project for the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant with Moses on the mountain, guess what was going on at the bottom of the mountain? 
God's people were just getting antsy and impatient. They wanted to worship someone other than God because God and Moses were simply taking too long already. The people took a shortcut, and while Moses was away talking with God, they melted down the gold that they had, and they made a golden idol, and they worshiped that, okay? So before you judge them, think how often we all take creative shortcuts, too. Adam and Eve took a creative shortcut by making fig leaf clothing to cover their shame instead of talking to God about it first, right? Bringing their shame to him first. But God in his mercy has always got a better way and a, um, than a quick shortcut. Amen. <laughs> so let's talk about Bezalel for a minute. His story is the main one that Christian artists love to turn to, right? Because he's like the hero of, the, uh, of art in, in the Bible. We like to call him filled and skilled, filled with the Holy Spirit and skilled in his craft. And I want to tell you some cool things I discovered about him. I was really struck that the name Bezalel means in the shadow of God. I thought, you know, if Bezalel is in the Father's shadow, it means he's close beside him. Following in his footsteps as a fellow creator, uh, you know, like an apprentice to the creator king, like the apprentice in the, in the craft shop. I love thinking of Bezalel and the father working closely together. As Bezalel carved the wood for the Ark of the Covenant and gilded it with gold plating, he was doing so in God's shadow. It's really cool, right? And, you know, I can identify with Bezalel. When I'm painting in my studio, I feel like I am in the Father's shadow. I just, I can't describe it in words. Um, it's just like we're commuting as one. And we talk sometimes, but um, it's like, help me, Holy Spirit, or uh, where, where, where are we going here? Or how do I resolve this problem here? When you make a painting, you set up a series of problems to solve within, you know, a rectangle. It's really, it's really kind of silly when you think about it. It's, it's a rectangle, and you get to fill it in. Um, but that's what the, the craft of art is, in, in my sense. And I just love speaking with God. Sometimes we don't even need to talk during the artistic process. I just, I love all my tools and materials, and I feel like he likes my tools and materials, too. Um, and... This is something that he and I can do together as a father and daughter. I wonder if Jesus enjoyed this kind of um, workmanship with his dad. You know, his earthly father, Joseph, was a carpenter. So they would create products together in wood side by side. It's so satisfying to create and to make and innovate. And I'm sure many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and that you can relate to that in your careers or hobbies, too. There's so many ways that creativity is, permeates our world. Another thing I noticed is that God really loves to give specs or the specifications. When I take a commission project, I do the same thing. I go over the specs with the client. We talk about the size of the painting, the colors that they would like to see or not see, the imagery, uh, the subject matter, things like that. And this is just what God did with Moses and Bezalel when he commissioned the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. 
It's so specific that I, I don't want to bore you with all the details of, and the numbers and everything, but as I researched this, I noticed something really cool, that even as God gave them the specs for the jobs, he also gave creative freedom to the people. You have to look closely to see this, and I was just so glad that God showed me this. I'm, I'm going to give you one example, um, and we have a slide for this. Um, it's Exodus 35, 25 to 29. God specified the three colors that he wanted for the curtains of the tabernacle. I mean, he was really specific. This is what it says. All the women who were skilled in sewing and spinning prepared the blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen cloth. All the women who were willing used their skills to spin the goat hair into yarn. So the people of Israel, every man and woman who was eager to help in the work the Lord had given them through Moses, brought their gifts and gave them freely to the Lord. And in um, verse, um, uh, chapter 36, verse 37, we read, embroidered with exquisite designs using blue, purple, and scarlet thread. So God gave the specs on the three colors he wanted, but he left it open as to what patterns or decorations the artisans could weave on their looms. He did say he wanted cherubim, which are like little you know, angels, but um, not cherubs. That's, uh, sorry, that's geeking out again. That's neoclassical Italian reference, but, <laughs> but um, cherubim is you know, angels that we read about in the Bible. Um, so, yeah, he, he said that he wanted those, but he didn't say how many, how large, on which color he wanted them. He gave them some creative freedom, which um, I think is really amazing. What, what they would do, the weavers would have then gotten together and decided together and collaborated and said, okay, let's choose the type of pattern and design we want to do these colors in. And they would have picked the best design together. Um, I think that's part of God's strategy, too, in creating a collaborative effort between the people. Um, and please note that he had men and women working together on this project. Scripture tells us that it turned out beautifully and that God was pleased. The text says that the last thing that was completed was when the curtain was set up at the entrance of the courtyard of the tabernacle uh, at the east gate. It says in Exodus 40, 34, then the glory cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And uh, if we could have the next slide, this is the big reveal of the finished tabernacle. So it shows what looks like a very large tent and we don't see inside of it, but I really wanted to show this slide because it shows um, a piece that I'm going to talk about in a minute. Inside the, the tent, um, it's all filled with gold. The Ark of the Covenant is toward the back in the Holy of Holies. Um, and the front is where the priests would go in. Um, and they had bread there. They had um, a, a very large menorah. They call it a lampstand with seven lamps. Um, but all of this is going to foretell uh, what they're going to do when they build their um, permanent temple in Jerusalem. But this is the one that, that God created for the uh, commission for them to take with them and get started. I honestly believe if we had if we brought Bezalel here in a time machine today, he would say, "It was the privilege of my life to work on that project." 
I wanted to honor God and honor my assignment, and I did my best for him. I honestly think that's what he would say. And if we were to bring Moses forward in a time machine, I think Moses, coming from the standpoint of a community leader, would say, this project solidified our community. It brought us together as men and women. Before that, our people were just a mess all over the place. In his mercy, God absolutely knew we had to have this tabernacle and the ark and the Ten Commandments inside the ark to help anchor us and bring us together and closer to himself. Isn't that the reconciliation of the garden, too? This, and he, yeah. <laughs> he's just, God is too good. I mean, he's just so good. I think they would both say, though, if God's tabernacle doesn't physically exist anymore, then where's God? I think that would be a grave concern of theirs, and I'm going to come back to that in a minute, and I'll tell you why. But there's one more thing I want to tell you about the tabernacle design. I told you that this foreshadows what's going to happen with the temple, right? But did you know that this also foreshadows Jesus, who's going to come much later? And I don't... If I had another sermon, I would explain the whole thing to you, but we don't have enough time. But I'm going to highlight the most striking piece to me. And it's not the, it's not the beautiful parts inside, even though I love them. Uh, I loved researching this. God really downloaded a lot. But the, I want to highlight the altar. Um, so when you enter the east gate, you'll see there's um, the entry point. Can you see that in the slide? Uh, it's the darker color. There's white, um, like a white gate all around, and then the darker color. That's the beautiful curtains that I was referencing. When you enter there, you'd first see the altar. And it's outside on purpose because there's a fire going on there. This is where you are going to come when you make your offering. There are different types of offerings, such as a sin offering, a burnt offering, a peace offering, and a few others, like a grain offering, okay? You typically bring a firstborn male animal from your livestock to be sacrificed as an atonement for your sin. By giving up the firstborn uh, and blemish-free male offspring, what you're doing is you're giving up the best quality future seed for your future herds. So it's very costly to pay for your sin. You would lead the innocent animal to the priest on its reins to the altar, which is like this big, large fire pit, as you can see. Um, it's a wood structure that's overlaid with bronze. You would place your hand on the head of your animal, depending on how big your animal is. If you were sacrificing a bull, you might be up here. If you were sacrificing a lamb, you'd be down here. But you'd place your hand on its head. With this action, God is transferring your sin to the animal. The innocent animal is meant to stand in for you and your sin. You would hand over the reins of the animal to the priest who then kills it. The blood of the animal is then sprinkled on the altar to symbolize death, which is the punishment you deserve for your sin, but which the animal stands in for for you. The animal is placed on the altar, and depending on the type of sin or the, the type of offering, it was either burnt whole and destroyed completely, 
Um, or for other types of offerings, it would be butchered and placed on the fire. So this slide doesn't show it, but they also had some butcher tables out there too. Um, some of the meat would be eaten for these types of sin or peace offerings. The smoke releases a fragrance to God. There's also an incense that is released as well in a different spot, but this is the offering incense, okay? So that's what, I mean, this is what they did in the Old Testament. This is what we reference sometimes and we hear about, but this is, I'm spelling it out. This is what happened. The sin is therefore forgiven now, and you've been made clean by the blood of the animal that was shed for you. This should all sound familiar. So Jesus foretold that this form of atonement would end by saying that he himself would become the sacrificial lamb to atone for all sins of all mankind. Not just this group, not just them, but for everybody. He was led as an innocent lamb to the slaughter. He was pierced for our transgressions. By his stripes, meaning the cuts that were cut on his body, we were healed. By the shedding of his blood, we are made clean. And he said the night before he was betrayed that he actually wanted us to eat bread to represent his body and drink wine to represent his blood, broken and shed for us. In some of these other offerings that I mentioned where they would butcher the animal, the priests and the people could eat that meat. So sometimes eating was a form of, you know, part of the, 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 uh, the transaction. He wants us to eat bread to represent his body and drink wine to represent his blood. Once and for all, it will be finished. All of this sounds really gruesome and barbaric to today's ears, right? Until you understand the historical context. This was what God had set up as his covenant with people. The wooden altar of the Old Testament becomes the wooden cross of the New Testament. And the cross is the last form of workmanship. It's crude. It's not beautiful like gold-plated Ark of the Covenant, but it's crude and it's deadly. There's, there's nothing beautiful about it. It's, a fact, it's just um, an instrument of torture and execution that the Romans made up. Until Jesus transformed that workmanship by his sacrifice. So now we see the cross is beautiful. Look at it, stained glass. Or here, we, we wear it um, around our necks in silver and gold. It's now we see it as a beautiful symbol. He transformed what was ugly into something beautiful. Amen. Amen. Jesus foretold that the temple would be destroyed, um, which is the tabernacle, obviously, it lasted for a short time. It was temporary, but the temple was destroyed. That happened in 70 AD um, by the hands of the Romans, and that was about 40 years after Jesus had died. This caused the practice of animal sacrifice to end forever. Um, and so, because it was only allowed at that temple. In all these ways and more, God's specifications and Bezalel's workmanship were prophesying to the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. You know, for artists, um, 
the art piece itself means more to us than the raw materials, right? The time that it took to make or the monetary value of the finished product. Similarly, the, the value of this tabernacle project was worth more than the gold and the materials, more than the onyx and the other gems. Just as we ourselves are worth so much more to God than what we make, what we do with our time, our credentials, our net worth. We're worth so much more to him. Our creator king gave us creativity as a gift. So let me ask you, do you have a gift of talent that needs more cultivation? Do you sense that you have an assignment from God for a way to use that talent? And if that's you, I encourage you to take classes in that talent and develop your skill level. Don't ignore it. You want to be ready for when God wants to use you. You have a purpose. You want to be like Bezalel, skilled and filled. Please come talk to me at the end of service if you have any questions about that. Don't let the devil discourage you from taking steps to develop your talent, okay? I talked about the hopelessness that I felt at the midway point of the pandemic three years ago. One major way that I addressed my despair was I decided to push back against the accuser by making more art, not less. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that wasn't easy, but I just made a decision to refuse to stop painting. I know who I am. I know what he spoke over me. Um, and it became like warfare at times, I will tell you. Like God's people, I was creating in the desert, in the wilderness. Uh, the accuser's voice was saying, you know what, Deidre, you just need to pack it up. No one needs or wants what you have to offer. Do something else. Well, I told the voice to be silent, and I remembered the work God has given me to do. By putting one foot in front of the other, I just kept showing up to the studio like a stubborn mule. <laughs> I was often the only one there, and yes, it was lonely in a human sense, but I stand by the idea that showing up is 90% of success. So I kept showing up and putting paint on the canvas. You see, when I create, I feel God's presence. I feel his peace. It's just one of the assignments God gave me to do in this life. God uses my art to help people. I get letters from people all the time. It gives people joy. It helps provide for our family. I just don't feel right in my skin unless I'm making art on assignment, on purpose, on mission, even if I'm not totally sure of the outcome every time. But that's okay because God knows the outcome. Somehow, I think this experience has given me an even stronger gift of faith, um, that God has a long-range plan, a better plan, even when my plans get blown apart, I know many of you know exactly what I mean by that. And the, I mentioned I was worried about provision. Well, you may have heard in, the, in 2021, the U.S. government came up with a payment, a paycheck protection plan loan system, um, which I could, nobody knew about in 2020 when we were all uh, worried. Um, but to make a long story short, through the PPP loan, God restored what the locusts had eaten. Yes. 
and my bottom line normalized in 2021. So I thank God for that. Um, and a few minutes ago, I, I said that if Bezalel and Moses could time travel here to 2023 with us, they might ask, so wait a minute, if the tabernacle's gone, then where's God, right? Um, because remember, God's, for God's people in the desert at that time, God made himself visible to them in a pillar of a cloud um, that followed them and led them, uh, not followed them, but led them during the day when he became a pillar of fire at night. So they were always able to visually see God and know that he was there day and night. But if we time travel from the book of Exodus ahead to the book of Matthew, we know that God no longer showed up in the form of a cloud. He did us one better and showed up in the form of a man. We know that this man came to show us how to live and love by his example and he, to make new disciples to carry his message forward. He was crucified for our sins and rose from the grave. And he's now a part of each of us who all call him savior and friend. Scripture says that we now are the temple where the Holy Spirit resides. Amen? <laughs> yeah. Jesus came so that all people of every tribe and nation could claim him as, as Messiah, as Savior, and walk with him on a daily basis. God's story went from a couple to a family to a community to a nation to all nations. Right? I mean, <laughs> right. This is from God. God no longer needs the workmanship of a temple. So you can see it again. Uh, a tabernacle. He doesn't need an ark or animal skins to save us from sin. For today in 2023, because of Jesus making the way, now we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2.10 and I have to say, my husband Danny preached the first service. We didn't know we each chose the same scripture reference. So that was definitely a God thing. Um, the next slide shows Ephesians 2.10. Um, each of us are God's workmanship. And some translations even use the word masterpiece, which I love. We are image bearers of God. It's in our blood to want to create and make things in the shadow of our Father, or to sing and play instruments in the shadow of our Father, or to make food in the shadow of our Father, or to innovate in the lab in the shadow of our Father, or to make new business plans in the shadow of our Father. Um, I encourage you to cultivate your creative gifts. If you're interested in the visual arts, talk to me. If you're interested in music, you have a whole bunch of friends and family right here who you could talk to and pick their brains. Um, if you're interested in the culinary arts, Sister Valerie, would you mind standing or raising your hand? Yes, thank you. Sister Valerie is a chef. She is a, a trained chef and she teaches professional classes, but she's very um, generous to PT and has a small group where she teaches creative cooking. I recommend that. Go to the church website if you'd like to learn more. There are many people in our church who have invested in their creative talents here. And this also goes for our kids. If your child has a talent that you want to cultivate, see if you can connect with folks who are in those fields here. This is part of what church family is for. 
Uh, speaking of family, you're never too old or too young to welcome Jesus into your heart and become a part of God's family. It's okay to be new at this. <laughs> um, I was new at this, it feels like not so long ago because I came to Christ as an adult myself. Um, for those of you who are in a place in your faith journey where you haven't asked Jesus to live in your heart, you can do that today with me if you want to. Jesus, in my experience, Jesus is very gentle. He's, he's a gentleman. He never pushes himself on anybody. He doesn't force himself into your life. So sometimes, like in the craziness of life and all the clamor to get our attention, it can be easy to miss Jesus' voice and miss his promptings. But if we just um, spend a little time now just being aware and sensitive to him, you may sense a gentle encouragement from him to take a step of faith towards him. He's approachable. You don't have to impress him or win his approval, just like the the song that we sang earlier. He simply loves you as you are today. You don't have to go and get clean first before you come here. Please get that in your minds, right? <laughs> um, yeah, God, Jesus really wants to meet us where we're at today. You don't have to go through all these hoops. He forgives you for your messes and your mistakes and sins because he knows you're only human. <laughs> You're not him. He wants you to give him a chance. And if you would like to try a, an actual walk of faith or get more into that again and reaffirm your faith, we're here for you as a church if you want to walk with us. And that would be a process over time. But if you're ready to welcome Jesus into your heart, that's just a two-minute prayer that we can do right now, right from where we're sitting. If everyone would say this prayer together with me, those of you who already walk with Jesus will be reaffirming your faith. And those who are saying it for the first time can say this in the, con like the context of family and feel that comfort around you. So please play, pray with me in unison. Repeat after me. Jesus, I admit that I need your help. I confess that I too am a sinner. I want to repent and ask for your forgiveness. I choose to believe that you took the punishment for my sins in order to cleanse me. This means today I am forgiven fully. I believe that you rose from the grave to give me a new life with you. You said in the Bible that whoever calls on your name shall be saved. Jesus, I welcome you into my heart and into my life. And now I know I'm a child of God. Amen. 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 If you said that prayer for the first time, it's my honor to welcome you into God's family. And we would like to give you a free Bible and some resources that you can take with you on your journey if you would like. 
One of our members will have that ready for you if you would like to just hang back here after service and after the final blessing, and we can get that to you, okay? And if you would like prayer for anything that was shared today, I'm available to you. Um, and I think may maybe some elders or members of the prayer team might be here as well. Um, just please come up after. And now we're going to have a closing blessing as we depart. After this, please make your way downstairs to the reception hall. And I wish you a beautiful and creative week ahead. So put your hands out, please. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. And just as a reminder, as you go out, just remember one service next week at 10 a.m. Be blessed. Have a great day and a great week. Thank you. Good job. Good job.